0: the sense that my cardiologist had uh, whatever, you, I don't know whether it's a surgeon or a uh, you know, cardiologist or whatever it is that does that procedure, but he always comes to, to Gainesville on uh, Wednesday to deal with whatever her patients need, but this particular Wednesday he was booked for solid. And then he wanted to have put it off sometime in next month, sometime in January. But uh, my insurance may not work in January. So I'm going to Gwinnett Medical Center Tuesday early in the morning and should have that and be home Tuesday night. So Tuesday evening may uh, work out fine. So that'd be good. I appreciate so many of you. Question me about that. We're going to be talking about the ministry of the church. And and let me pause for just a moment and remind you of what we're trying to do. During this quarter, we're going to be missing some Wednesday nights. The next two Wednesday nights, you know, will not be a class night. Christmas night and New Year's night is a singing night and things of that nature. Just nobody has class going on. So we'll be back at this then the first Wednesday. Uh, I can't say the first Wednesday in January because that's January 1, but uh, January 8. So be back for that at that time. What we're trying to do is go back to the New Testament and learn as much as we can about the New Testament church. I want us to see the church as Jesus brought it into existence. And I want us to see the church as the apostles and prophets led the New Testament church in that first century until we have the Bible that we have. And if you remember 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you're going to see that there are going to be some who have, uh, are, are prophets, some who speak in other languages, tongues, They do all kinds of things that they're able to do because of the Holy Spirit upon them, but that was a temporary thing that was only going to last for a short period of time. When that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away, Paul says. And that's really what we're talking about. When that perfect law of liberty, according to James chapter 1, began when we have the New Testament in its completeness the necessity of those special gifts is gone I want to read we're going to be looking at the ministry what what are we talking about when we're talking about the ministry of the church if you have your Bibles open it to Romans chapter 15 we know Paul's writing to a New Testament church in Rome he's never been there He's not writing just to the preacher. He's not writing just to the elders. He's writing to the New Testament church. We then who are strong ought to bear the scruples of the weak, not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproach you fell on me. And that's, that's really something for us to think about at this moment. And Paul's talking about New Testament Christians. He's talking about members of the church. He's talking about individuals like you and me. He's talking about us who are, who are striving to live for Christ, but we compose the church. We're the body. Over and over and over again the New Testament, tells us that we're uh, the body. The church is the body of Christ. For whatever things were written uh, before, were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another. Like-minded toward one another, according to Jesus Christ that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Think of what he's saying. He's describing for the members of the body of Christ in Rome, how they need to be serving Christ. How they need to be preaching the gospel. How they need to be encouraging and edifying to one another. and How they need to help one another bear each other's burdens. What a, what a marvelous passage it is. And how well that's going to fit in just one thing that I want us to see tonight. That essential ministry of Christ. Paul says in Romans 15 and verse 8, when we're talking about that essential ministry of Christ, he he tells us that the Son of Man came not to serve but to be served, not to not to not to be served, but to serve and to give himself as a ransom for many. Have you pictured this in your mind? Really, really, really meditated on this for a moment. Here, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, holy, righteous, emptied himself of all the vestige of heaven itself and came to this earth, made in the likeness of man. Why? In order to be a servant. Now, we'd think in our our modern thoughts and in the way we would normally think that, any person who has the ability, who has the, the inherent abilities that Jesus had, could be exalted high and noble. Not while he was here. He came to be a servant. He came to be a servant for that one particular purpose. I want you to understand that. Good works do not procure man's salvation. However many good works you do, you can never bring yourself into the position of making God indebted to you. can't be done. Our our good works and, and things of that nature just just won't won't work that way you can't work long enough for salvation you can't do enough for salvation christians are in christ they're in christ according to ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 to perform good works why are we here according to that ephesians 2 and verse 10 to perform good works That's why the grace of God came. That's why Jesus came to this earth. You see, the church continues the ministry of Jesus. The church is his body, as I said a moment ago. We are the image of Christ that people in the world sees. Sometimes we have a tendency to forget that. I do. Sometimes it seems to me that that's almost too much for me to picture in my life for others. That's what we're supposed to be doing. You see, his work, his body, the church is a way of maybe maybe I should say a way of extension of himself into the world. He came and provided for us his life, message of his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection. And from that resurrection now, we have great power. But if we're going to have that power, it's because of serving others. His work today is done through the people in the church. Through you and I. It's a divine institution with a divine mission. You know, the work of the church is what Christians do collectively. You're kind of a, an expression of Christianity. Why do they do it? Because they're Christians. That's the way they live. You knew te- The New Testament does not make a strong distinction between individuals in the church. It is what we do together. Why? Because we're Christians, because we belong to Christ. The New Testament doesn't make that sharp distinction between individuals and the church. Most of the time in the New Testament, when we read about the church, We're reading about the individuals as they assemble together. Not about somebody who's just out here by himself, but that's part of the church too. You see, the letter addressed to churches, uh, letters that are addressed to churches, but talk about individual acts are also addressed to individuals who come, come together in an assembly. I think when I think of that, I think of 1 Corinthians. Paul addressed that to the church of the Corinthians. But he deals with individual problems that are in that congregation. He deals with individuals there that compose the body of Christ. You see, the church is the community of the saved. And in the New Testament unity usage, the New Testament church makes it that way. Paul, back in Romans, let me back up here a minute. Paul, back in Romans chapter 5 and 15 and verse 8, now I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision. He's writing to the Romans again. And had we read on just a little bit further in chapter 15 a moment ago, we would have read that verse, that he became a servant. He said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. Interestingly enough, and we'll talk about this a little bit later on, but interestingly enough to me, that word servant in Romans 15 and verse 8 comes from the Greek word dekoni, from which we get the word deacon. Can you think of this, that Jesus has become a deacon? We don't often think about that. He came to do that work that needs to be done. I picture, when I think of this, I picture him as he was washing the feet of the apostles the night before his trial and crucifixion the next day girded himself with the towel, took the basin of water, and sat down and began to wash their feet. And at that time, that was a task that was reserved for the lowest of the slaves. The one who really didn't have any ability to do anything else. And we find him at this time serving others. The church exists, and one is a part of it, whether we're assembled or not. The worship may be done in private, may be done in the assembly, but when we view the work of the church, it may be viewed as an individual activity or as a collective activity of the Lord's people. The New Testament clearly in, in, envisions a service which is undertaken by congregation as a whole. That's why I was reading to you what Paul wrote in Romans 15. When he's writing to the individual Christians, he's writing about things that we think of belong to the church. That's what the church should be doing. And if we're not careful in our mind, when we use the word church in that, ascent, in that sense, we're talking about everybody else but me. We're talking about every. This is what the church ought to be doing while I'm sitting back and watching. No. This is what each one of us should be doing, and that's what why how the church is reviewed in that particular sense. Uh, it, it's a matter of individual responsibility, and uh, maybe a contribution to the church, but it's a individual responsibility. The individual should. John, the work undertaken by the congregation, but he's not thereby released from the obligation to minister individually. Yeah, we're supposed to help with, with the work that's going on in the, in the congregation. When we, as a group, as an assembled group, have a work to be done, sure, we're to be part of it. But that doesn't release me from the responsibilities of doing individual Work of which Paul was speaking in Romans fifteen. He was telling them what they personally, individually, ought to do. He let each one of us. He says, not the whole thing. You see, we're not released from the obligation to minister as an individual if we're taking part of what's being done in the church. But then, too, notice with me the the idea that the New Testament does not make that sharp distinction. It does not. Whether we're part of it, assembled, or individual, it does not. But then notice the doctrinal side of the ministry. Most of what's been written about the work of the church has been done from a practical standpoint. The purpose here is to look at the doctrinal grounding. That's what I want us to see. I want us to think for a few moments about the work of the church, how it may be properly examined. I like that word ministry. I want to stress something to you because we've taken that word and given it a totally different meaning than what the New Testament did. Incidentally, the New Testament used the same Greek word that was used for Jesus as a servant, which is translated deacon for us today, and that's the same word that's translated minister or ministry. Same identical word. That's, uh, that, and in the, the Greek terminology in the time of the the New Testament was written, that was a, a, a real uh, servile activity. It, it, it didn't mean much. The New Testament continues with these languages, language usages like that in, the, in, in a broad interest. You know, our, our analysis ought to be that service is therefore a constant, comprehensive term for the work of the church. And if you read through this, you're going to find that the writers of the New Testament, the New Testament church in the first century, did not have someone whom they exalted above all others. We've set the word minister aside to make it mean someone who is of greater importance than other people. No. Means deacon. Means a servant. Means someone who is interested in others. It's it's also noticeable that normally undignified word had been dignified with the highest calling in Jesus. That undignified word of a servant. We don't like that term. That undignified term. As a minister. That has been given with the highest calling of Jesus Christ. The work of the church is an act of obedience. Servant serves as he's commanded to do. He doesn't originate his actions. He doesn't uh, doesn't try to justify his actions in, in service or resume responsibility for the results of those things. No. The Lord takes care of that. And there is, therefore, no secondary motive for obedience. We need to work on that. Service is the work of the church. No secondary at ministry. The kind of person Christ was and the kind of ministry he performed determine all Christian ministry. It's in the likeness of Christ. He took our human condition fully upon himself, performed... That kind of work determined that ministry. When he had taken all of that upon himself, all for the purpose of redemption, all for giving us and recreating purpose, he remade us. Yeah, he was there when when God created all the world and all that's in it. We're told that repeatedly but now he's recreating you and I. You know, we died to sin. If we just take the the picture that's here, we, when we obeyed the gospel, we died to sin, buried the old man in the watery grave of baptism, and rose to walk in newness of life. We're a new creature, Paul says, made in the likeness and in the image of Christ. Spiritually, we don't look like him physically, I don't think. Nobody knows. I've seen many of the pictures that artists have drawn and all that kind of stuff, but they didn't know any more about what Jesus looked like than we do. We want to be like him spiritually, not physically. This old physical life is soon going to be over and, and it's going, we're going to be raised to walk in newness of life. And Paul spends a great deal of time in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 talking about that we're going to be raised. We're going to have a new body. But he compares it to like you put a seed in the ground and it comes up in a different form. We're going to come up in a spiritual body. One that's prepared to live forever. The kind of person Christ was, the kind of ministry he performed determined all Christian ministry. He took our human condition fully upon himself. And as the church derives its nature from Jesus, even so the Lord of the church determines the nature of the church's ministry. By that I'm saying simply this. When we really want to serve Christ, when we really want to recognize that He is the Lord and Master and we are the servants, and we're obeying Him and living as He wants us to live, I want you to understand that we're trying to live what He wants us to do. That's what it means to be a Christian. It's been customary for us to classify this ministry of the church in three ways. and We're going to look at each of those three ways tonight as we have time. The first is evangelism we want to know what that is and what it means and who's, in, who's responsible for that and what kind of evangelism are we talking about what did the New Testament have to say about it and then benevolence Paul had a lot to say about that as we read a moment ago didn't he what we do for others how we help and strengthen others and then thirdly there's edification one of the great tasks that you and I have as Christians is to make others stronger. To be able to live, to be able to associate, to be able to function with them in such a way that we encourage them and strengthen them in their lives. That they could come to that realization that Jesus is our example. And the realization that as far as the world's concerned, the only way they can see Jesus Christ is in us. We live an example for them. Well, notice with me first evangelism. Christ's personal ministry, no question about it, was characterized by preaching the gospel. We know that from so many many examples given in the New Testament. Well, I won't take time to list all of them, nor will we take time to read all of them. But I want you to understand, as you read the New Testament, you're going to find so much of Jesus preaching. And I think immediately of Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. What a, what a marvelous time it must have been to have those multitude of people on the edge of that mountain and then Him... Preaching to them some of the most powerful messages ever given to mankind it was given by Jesus at that particular time, primarily to his followers, his apostles, maybe. You see, that's the summary of his earthly ministry how he could be able to do that. He, his directions to the disciples were that they were to preach the gospel. When he sent them out two by two, he gave them that encouragement. When he was ready to ascend to the Father for the last time, the last bit of encouragement, the last bit of, uh, uh, of command that he gave them was to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's the responsibility they had. The early church was engaged in these activities. The preaching work of that apostolic church is to be more than an example. The very reason for its existence is to convey the message of the Lord to a lost world. We have that that, uh, uh, um, privilege and opportunity today. I'm thankful for the... Mission work especially of this congregation. I'm not in physically able to make those trips anymore as I've made in the past. But I believe in, in sharing that gospel with the world. But our world is around us now. We can make that, that message known to people around us. That's the very reason for our existence. Is to convey that message to a lost world. Calvary death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ was incomplete without that. If we're not willing to make that ma- that ma- message known to the world. And that message, that, that Calvary, that cross, and that death, burial, and resurrection was incomplete without Pentecost. When Peter and the 11 began to preach. And they preached a powerful sermon. You see, that great commission is an act of, uh, of the Holy Spirit given to them, guiding them as Jesus promised that He would into that great message, provides that transmission from the divine to the human sides of salvation. How do we move from where we were dead, lost in sin, how do we move from there to where we want to be alive in Christ Jesus? That's preaching the gospel. That's what it's all about. You see, the man who makes a a faithful exposition and application of God's message is bringing that word of God to the people. No wonder we we, we know that. We know that easily. We understand it. We appreciate that preaching. But then think with me about benevolence. I think the ministry of Jesus may be summarized as doing good to others. Matthew 4, verse 23. Other passages could be quoted to say the same thing. He fed the hungry. He healed the sick. He released men from the bondage of demons. Such acts were a demonstration that the messianic age had come. There was a reason for him doing it. The reason didn't always catch on to the people. Some of those refused to understand the message that Jesus was bringing. There were some there that refused to acknowledge the power of Jesus when he had performed some of those miracles. Jesus instructed his disciples similarly to care for those in need. Paul was doing that. And on and on we could go, especially in, in Luke chapter 20, beginning in verse 29 and following, we find much of the instructions there about that. Matthew chapter 25 and verse 3 began. beginning. The early church proved itself responsive to human needs. I think especially of Acts chapter 6, when I think of that. Think of the multitude of people. Multitudes of people had come to Jerusalem for the Passover. Many people had traveled miles and miles to be there. They had left behind their... Many of their families left behind their goods, things of that nature, and traveled. 3,000 on the day of Pentecost, and just a little later, there's as many as 5,000, not counting the women and children. Can you imagine in a new city, a strange city as a visitor for a long period of time? It's not surprising to me that some were saying to the apostles in Acts chapter 6, you know, that the Grecian widows are being neglected. It would be easy to physically overlook somebody like that, wouldn't it? In a crowd like that. That's when they appointed seven men. Well known. And they went out preaching the gospel and attending to those, those people that need help. The apostle says, we'll attend we'll to preaching. You, you attend to the, uh, giving food to these people, helping them. The early church proved itself. That visitation of the sick, the imprisoned, the destitute, in biblical language, did not mean a social call. It meant ministering to their needs. Serving them at that particular time. The New Testament church relieved human distress wherever it was found. And the opportunity presented itself not just within the fellowship, but in the world round about them. The instructions to the church also involve this same kind of love for all men. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 12 and 5 and verse 15 and and again Romans uh, several passages. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. No restrictions are placed on the exercise of Christian charity by the church. Now that's really something to think about and, and that statement was made by a, a writer that I'm going to introduce you to before we get through with this, but that statement was made and I thought rang a bell with me If we're not careful, if we don't pay some attention, we sometimes draw our own rules and regulations about who we help. It wasn't done in the New Testament church. A love, according to Matthew 19 and verse 12, that stops short of assisting one in need would be in word, but not in deed. James talks about that as well. One could hardly pray, give us this day day our daily bread and exclude others from that petition. We can't do that. You see, that assistance will include all human needs, such as was the example of Jesus and such as involved in the reteaching of Matthew, chapter 25, verses 31 through 36. Human needs may include all the necessities of life. Illness, mental health, emotional health. There seems no way to say that the church may clothe the naked, but not care for the sick. Or to say that they may feed the hungry, but not nurture those who are emotionally needing counsel. Are having marital problems and needing counsel. And then thirdly, I want you to see edification. Jesus spent so much time instructing his disciples. So often we find him seated with them around them. Maybe they were asking questions. Maybe Jesus was just teaching them. He often sought to be away from the crowds so He could be gathered with the disciples and teach them the ministry, mysteries of the kingdom and things of that nature. He directed these disciples not only to preach, but to teach all that He taught them according to Matthew 28, 19. If you remember that particular great commission, Go into all the world preach the gospel to every creature. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, Lord, I'm with you all the way to the end of the world. Teaching them to observe all things. Our ministry, our preaching, our teaching does not end with just the salvation principles. Oh, it includes them. Don't misunderstand me but it also includes a great number of other things. How we can bring each other into the image of Jesus Christ. You and I have an obligation to one another here. Helping that person, helping each other as we develop that mission, that image, that personality of Jesus Christ in this world. It's a great task. Uh, The the church cannot be in Christ unless it's in Him with all of His ministry. We can't take just part of what Jesus did and say, okay, I'm in Christ in that sense. No. We have to recognize the message of Jesus and all of His self-giving, in His meeting of human needs, in all kinds, whether spiritual or, or physical needs that people have. Church of Christ must carry on the Messianic work. Its members are anointed and consecrated for that kind of service at their baptism. You know, when we come into Christ Jesus, when we're baptized into Him, according to Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, we don't receive the the laying on of hands. We don't receive the special Holy Spirit that the apostles received in Acts chapter 1 and 2. We receive the Holy Spirit living in us. Don't you know that Paul wrote to others saying do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? In other words, the Holy Spirit's living in you now. Not necessarily enabling you to do some special great miracles or, or something of that nature or talk in languages you had never studied or things of that nature. The Holy Spirit's in you to help you develop into that character that Jesus wants you to be. Help you to be part of the church that he created. It doesn't take some, uh, some special task in order to do that it emphasizes to me that all share in Jesus' self-consecration for all mankind. Look at the world, and we can see things going on around about us and wonder how Jesus could be concerned about it. He is, I can tell you that. He's very concerned. You see, all phases of the work of the church, evangelism, benevolence, Edification, are all a service, or a ministry, a deaconship. When those who give to, or, or those who administer these services, yield to the temptation of self-importance, of, of exalting themselves over others, their word ceases to be a ministry as defined by the standard of Jesus. The church itself is needy and lives by the grace and gifts of God, no question about it. One of the great blessings we have is the grace of God, isn't it? God giving us something we don't deserve, we could never earn, we could never merit, but a special gift. A special gift that's so meaningful. We need to understand that gift of the grace of God is so important. Whatever blessings the church bestows comes not of itself. Whatever blessings you bestow comes comes not simply because look what a beautiful voice you have, look what, what talent you have this way or what talent you have that way. It comes because of God shining in you. The message, the meaning of that is not to be boastful about what you've done, but to allow God the glory. The church Treats each person as a person because it sees Christ in them. That's where we want to recognize that. And and when the church performs at work, there's no sounding of trumpets, either before or after. If there seems to be a contradiction between Matthew 5, 5, 16 and, and 6, 1, let us remember the tremendous difference between glorifying God and magnifying men. Yeah, we we need, need to recognize these functions inherent in the nature of the church and the church of Christ. Therefore, these functions and offices, uh, offices to perform them, evangelists, deacons, teachers, are permanent in the church. Now, I want to stress this Christ-centered ministry. Remember, Jesus came to serve. And remember the word that Paul used in Romans 15 and verse 8 is deacon. He came to be a deacon, servant or minister. He offered that ministry as a pattern for his followers. Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 through 28. Truly. The essential work he performed was giving his life as a ransom for many. Think of that for a moment. What did he hold back? What did he keep for himself? Nothing. He did everything he could for mankind. Leaving us with the opportunity to choose. We have to make a choice. He was not going to take away from us the power to choose. He was not going to take away from us that power of choice. When God created man, he gave man a choice. There is a tree in the middle of the garden. Don't eat of that tree. Why are you putting it there, Lord? To give mankind a choice. You can serve God or you're not, you can choose not to serve God. You can allow this, this development inside of you in the church today, in this ministry of the church, you representing Christ to the world, or you can choose not to do that. That's up to you. He still offers eternal, the eternal life and sacrifice continues to intercede between his brethren, for his brethren. He sits at the right hand of God as a mediator, as an intercessor for us. We sometimes cannot really comprehend the greatness, the magnitude of that particular work of Jesus. Not not something we can do. But something he did. And is doing for us. Jesus was God's greatest gift to his people. And among God's gifts to the church. The gifts of ministry and service. When Christ's personal ministry. On earth was completed. he he, He entrusted. The continuing work of those, those ideas into the hands of his disciples. Into your hands and my hands. There's a need for ministers to convey benefits in a, of this priestly ministry that we have. We understand that. But only in Christ do we learn what ministry really is. Only in Christ do we realize that it's a service that we render in our attempt to become that messenger for Jesus Christ, to become that character that other people can see and behold... behold, uh, uh, and upon whom we can give good works. The kind that they will praise us for. We don't want the praise. Praise Jesus. That's what we're trying to picture. Bow with me for a moment of prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for Jesus, so thankful for the work that He did and the great ministry that He had So thankful that knowing that the church is the body of Jesus. He's the head, but we're the body. And the work that he started here upon this earth is a work that has been given to us to fulfill. Help us as we try to do that, Father, to know the message you want us to have. Help us to develop the character of Jesus so that others may see the light shining in us.